Hello and welcome to episode 169 of Effect. Feeling fulfilled. I'm Matthew. Uh, and I'm Dave. Um, well, the main the main event of today is an interview that Matthew is having with Nigel Matthew, um, or the CEO of GamesQuest. Now we haven't had that interview yet, so we'll have to add that on to um, uh, to, to this once Matthew does it in an hour or so. Um, this is going to be talking about GamesQuest and all those issues and and stuff that goes around fulfilment and getting those lovely packages that you kickstarted all those months or years ago finally on your doorstep. So that should be uh, that should be really good. But that's the main event for for later on. Before then, we obviously have. Um, like I say, obviously, I'm, I don't know. Do we have new patrons this month? We don't have any new patrons. No, but we can always thank our current patrons. So we might as well do that right now. Thanks, guys. Um, we have a bit of world of gaming stuff to talk about. There has been some fulfilment, uh, certainly for me and a few others this last week. I had two games, totally unrelated. Uh, that I backed very different um, times that both arrived on my doorstep at exactly the same time. How, how's that for serendipity? Two uh, lovely parcels. That's Two that lovely parcels. Nice, yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about both of those a bit later on. Um, and then we, uh, we've we got a, a, a special thing for next time, um, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show. We're, we're recording this unusually <clears throat> on a Tuesday about yeah. three days before we would normally be recording it. And I've got to edit it today because there is no time after that. And so the show will come out at the weekend, um, but without any intervention from me in between. So what well, doesn't get done today doesn't get done. This weekend coming is um, mine and Matt's annual weekend away with uh, our friend Andy and my brother Tony, where we uh, sit in the middle of nowhere play games all weekend, drink beer and whiskey and have a great time, actually. So um, so we're not around to be recording at the weekend as we would normally. Yes, yes. So uh, what, what do you want to talk about first? So the first thing I thought was quite interesting is uh, Paizo uh, are relatively... We talked about them unionising uh, l- yes. last, last time. They've got, they're, they're desperate for news. This time they're talking about the Paizo Pathfinder Nexus which is their online resource, a bit like D&D Beyond. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I'm i just wondering whether we're seeing a thing here after lockdown of whether there's going to actually be a permanent shift to the network to be playing role-playing games. And all these companies are now um, creating stuff to sort of mark their space in the cyberspace. Yeah, um, for online it's, it, it's interesting. I, I suspect it's less of a shift and more of a recognition of the the potential for the online space. Particularly, you know, in recent years, you see a lot of people on Facebook and other social media saying, I live in the arse end of nowhere and I've got no one to play with, anyone want to play online. So you get mm. a lot more global or at least regional online groups coming together than you did before. Um, before the lockdown, I, I, I suspect, and it certainly will be the case for me, that I would always prefer to game face to face around a table. Mm-hmm. Uh, always. I mean, I, I I enjoy the online stuff. I was thinking about it yesterday when we were doing um, uh, our Coriolis Mercy of the Icons campaign last night on mm-hmm. YouTube, and and I I really enjoy that. That's great fun. But I was sitting there at, at, at times thinking, I wish we were all around a table. 
Yeah. This, would, this would be so much better if it was. And it, it's great as it is. And it's good to do it because otherwise we'd never game with the likes of Mohammed or John. I mean, John's mm. a bit closer, but Mohammed's obviously in Egypt. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd never get a chance to, to game with him. So that, that is great from that point of view. So I, I suspect those of us who are perhaps originally brought up on gaming around a table will rush back to the table when we feel comfortable to or when we get the chance. But there will be quite a big community that will have appeared over the last few years and, you know, cemented maybe by by the lockdown um, that will be continuing to play online. So the actual online community is going to be bigger, but I don't think it'll be a shift, if you see what I mean. It'll just be a, uh, it'll just be taking advantage of that space better so more people can play. Yeah, I guess in a way I was wondering about not so much whether you can't play around the table. As you say, I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think all we've seen is more online play and more online play will continue alongside more table play. I guess what I'm wondering about is whether the distribution model of fancy hardback books might shift over the coming generation because, of course... Games companies can control their IP, uh, if you like. You know, the fact that you can't actually get PDFs of D&D, current D&D books from DriveThruRPG, but you can get all their content on D&D Beyond, their online system, which is kind of IP protected in some way. Yeah. Whether there's, you know, whether this is what Paizo's moving towards that model there. So... Yes, we can all sit around the table, but will we all need computers with us or tablets or whatever to to see our rules? Mm. I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I mean, you know, I've got I work at a game shop now. Uh, I work <laughs> at the game shop in Order Shop. Uh, Stop it, uh, God! <laughs> and so, uh, uh, hang on, hang on. If you're going to do that, so, okay. Well, I we, we, don't, we don't need to mention free league, but I, I also work for Firelock Games, who do an excellent <laughs> range of. Mini uh, encounter games, both uh, World War One and uh, Pirate, and are bringing out a couple of role playing games later this year. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yes. There you go. Okay, Prom- so- promotions over. <laughs> Shilling over. Um, but uh, <laughs> I work in this game shop, and this week we've had a lot of people uh, talking about. Do you? You work in a game in- shop? Where's that? Yeah, I work at the game shop in Order Shop. It's, you can find it on Facebook if you look for the game shop Order Shop. <laughs> I never knew that. Oh, Seriously, a... if you if you want me to stop shilling for the, my employers, <laughs> then don't ask me questions about my employers. <laughs> yes, go on then. Because I on. will, in all seriousness, give you the answer that you want to hear. Um, <laughs> uh, but I work in this game shop, and uh, <laughs> this week we've had a number of people coming in. Well, actually, most of the people who come in buy Pokemon cards because that's what most of the business is. But, um, but a lot of people come in uh, and they're asking for... D&D's latest book, which is Fitzban's um, Guide to Dragons. Mm-hmm. And it's not Fitzban's Guide. It, it's got a fancy, fancier title than that. Uh, it's actually delayed in Europe. I think it's out in America, but it's um, not out here in Europe until the 9th of next month. That was uh, often but- the way. I, I always remembered, sorry, a slight digression here. When my dad used to go over to, to the States for business... Uh, which he did quite a bit when I was when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I always used to get him to bring try and bring back a a D and D module because mm. you could there's there were ones of them you couldn't get over here until much later, and so uh, so that was really cool. 
Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I mean, nowadays it's pretty much worldwide distribution on the day of release, but for yeah. some reason that's not yeah. happening here at this time. I imagine it's something to do with a boat and a container somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, we're. Um, where are we going with this? Oh yeah, so we're, we're, they're asking we're about books. For, people want to buy books still, <laughs> and you know, and and uh, the guys at Wizards of the Coast have done a good thing of doing alternative covers, so they often sell uh, twice as many books because some people have their you know standard D and D branded cover, and then they have their fancy alternative. They want the special cover. version, yeah, yeah. So, so books aren't going away very quickly, but I'm just wondering whether there's a bit of a shift, particularly from the larger companies who could afford to spend money on this sort of stuff, on moving content online and expecting people to buy it again online or online as well, or eventually, yeah, I wonder whether in, they're only online. Yeah, it's a bit like um, like sort of Spotify model, isn't it? Or the Apple yeah. Apple, Apple Music model, where you, you, you subscribe to access the, the content, but you don't actually own the content. Mm. So I hate that, frankly. Um, yeah, I, no, me too. <clears throat> although I, I can see the value for a lot of people. You know, my wife's got relevant accounts and it's great. She gets to access all the music she wants. But when that turns off, you don't actually have access to it anymore and you spent a lot of money. Um, yes. Now, for me, I, I, I sincerely hope that we never get away from the day when you get a lovely, nice, shiny, smelly book in your hand. Now, I'm, I'm a bit of an old lag, so I'm obviously in my 50s. Um, so maybe youngsters who are possibly 40 years younger than me coming into the hobby might feel very differently. Um, mm. But I can, I can see the value of having a PDF. If you want to find something quickly and you don't know where to look in the book and the, you know, the indexes are usually pretty unhelpful, then having a PDF is great. Uh, I, but I never use, almost never use a PDF when I'm playing because I just don't like it. It's just something uh. about ha- having the screen. I can't flick to a page really quickly. Um, if I do know where something is that I want to just double check and having the physical book actually makes you feel like kind of like it, 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 it's part of the furniture uh, of the game for me. No, I, I think so. I see. I do use my PDF. You know, I use my yeah, PDFs yeah, yeah. at the table, but uh, I still like the physical book for two reasons. One is, and I think we talked about this some time ago, is uh, kind of purely symbolic uh, in that the book is like, uh, the Bible, the Bible. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you put that on the table, and from that moment on, we are playing that game, and everybody can see that book, and people can pick it up and lift it, and flip through it, and stuff like that. But actually, it, whether whether they use it or not at the table doesn't matter. The fact that it is on the table for me is an important thing. Yes, and also yeah. when first reading a book, I mean, I can sometimes slog my way through a PDF from page one to page. It's really hard, isn't it? I, I find but it's it actually hard. really hard. It, yeah. As you say, it's great for going. Oh, I vaguely remember something written like that. Let me tap the name of that dragon in, and well, yeah. it appears. Yeah. That's great on the PDF when you're looking something up. But that first read, I like to do on paper. Yeah, which is handy. That's a nice segue, Dave. Well done. You are learning <laughs> from the master because. Um, uh, you were talking about uh, having nice new books in your hands, and we have seen some nice new books in our hands. We have in the last uh, yeah. couple of weeks since the program. Uh, you were telling us earlier on about receiving two uh, new games on the same day. I did, and I had PDFs for both, and I, I hadn't really looked at either very much. Um, but yes, yeah, so I got I got the troubleshooters from Helmgast. Uh, and Twilight 2000 from our friends at Free League. 
And yeah, it's great. I haven't really looked at Twilight 2000 too much yet. I am. I open up the box, and yeah, it, it, it's lovely. There's lovely dice in it, and the map. Some of the maps are great. I had a quick look at the um, the big map that comes with the box set, and on one mm-hmm. side you've got the standard Twilight 2000 Poland setting, which is great. On the other side, you've got um, Sweden. <laughs> mm. uh, I looked at it, and my wife's hometown is on it. And, oh, cool. And, I, and she was quite pleased about that, because she, she, the thought that Uddevalla would get destroyed in the, uh, in the, in the apocalypse was, was quite a welcome one for her, I think. <laughs> she's, not, not, you know, she's, uh, she's not overly fond of her hometown, I don't think. But, um, yeah, it's cool. It actually made me think, I could, I'd be quite keen to run a game in that Swedish setting. Um, mm. I, this is going to sound a bit heretical, possibly. I might end up using War Stories rules to do it, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I should give Twilight 2000 rules a good shake. So um, it would be nice to have a game of that. I know, I know our friend of the show, Andy, friend of the show, friend of ours, and friend of the show, Andy, is uh, sort of got something in mind to do a Twilight 2000 sort of game or mini campaign, which we're just struggling to find the time in the schedule for us to run it. Yes. But I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite keen to get that going. So I really enjoyed the one he ran for us with the old, for, I think it was first edition rules, wasn't it? And yeah. that was, that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. And I'd, I'd very much like to give it a go. First uh, or second, I can't remember. Still, but a GGW version of the rules. Yes, yes, yes. Um, an early yeah. version. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so yeah, so I got that. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, uh, well, I was going to say, I am strangely, I got I got Twilight 2000 without ever really intending to run it. I'm just wondering with my Wednesday group, um, who might be returning to face-to-face gaming shortly, we were having that discussion as the Twilight 2000 box arrived on my doorstep and mm-hmm. we did a little unboxing on our YouTube video, um, yep. if people want to see it. Um, because it came quite by surprise to me. You had to wait a bit. Um, did you have yours in a tin box, Dave, or something? No, I didn't go over the tin box. That, that was so you just had the basic. Step, you didn't have a step extras. too far for me. Yeah, no, just the basic. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I'm surprised yours was uh, took that much longer. But uh, yeah, so I picked this up, and we're having this discussion. And the game is very tactile with all the counters and the dice and the maps and things. And it made me think that maybe I would run a short campaign. Uh, for my games shop okay crowd. yeah um and that's that's caught me by surprise honestly because i okay. don't think i'd have any yeah. intention to run it uh, but again like you i feel i ought to you know i've been a little bit dismissive of the rules here not massively interested in them and maybe i should just get my head around them um uh, uh and, and yeah give, uh, and give revised year zero a chance. Yes, absolutely. Because so. I think, like like you say there, I think I've, I've I don't quite know how to describe it. Kind of been a bit sniffy, but mm. that's possibly too strong a word um, about it. Uh, but as you say, I think it, we, should, we 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 owe it to you know the likes of Thomas. Um, and and Chris and that who've designed the game and who've designed great games in the past, we owe it to them to give it a fair shake of the yeah. shake of the tail to to have a look at it. So I'm thinking that I may run it. Uh, oh, however, okay. I think there's a bit of a that our conversation about meeting face to face kind of dried up, and I think one of us maybe doesn't want to do it. So I've got to okay. challenge them and say, look. Do we, are we doing this or are we not? Yeah, we've got. And one I think two, I only one... want to do it if we're face to face. I don't want to do it online. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've got one or two of our old Wednesday night group who uh, are you know a bit more vulnerable and susceptible who haven't haven't wanted mm. to come out yet. Um, so yeah, we've got a few, but uh, but at the moment we um, we've got enough to be to be doing what we're doing on a Wednesday, which is which is great. Which is largely playtesting my games <laughs> or our games. So War Stories and Toto have basically been what's been taking up the time there for the last well since we came back from from um, from lockdown. Uh, right. So, yeah. Maybe, maybe they'd like to play a Finnish game for once. A Finnish game. Or a yeah, Finnish as opposed to a playtester. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they seem to be enjoying it, and and actually the the Toto we've been doing, my um, Tony's been running it. And so I've had a chance to play it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's great fun, uh, actually playing that. Um, yeah. Anyway, you know so the other- are you trying to get another segue in here to running Toto? Um, uh, uh, uh. No, because I haven't talked about troubleshooters yet. Oh right, yes, troubleshooters. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Okay. So I'm, I'm, foreshad- I'm foreshadowing the segue for later. Right. So it's okay. Even, it's even more subtle. Segwaying. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's pushing it, mate. You know. Yeah, it might be, don't, but I don't care. Don't run don't before care. you can walk. I don't care what you think, mate. Frankly. So, <laughs> um, yeah, troubleshoot. Did you get troubleshooters as well? I did. You I did. got troubleshooters. I didn't yeah. do. A, I did do a mini video of it because I got it. Um, I've been very busy, and I had like literally two minutes to un- unpack it. And I got my camera out and I filmed it. As I unpacked it, but yeah, I'm not going to put it online. Was it? Was Partly, it one of, those... of course, because the rest of the world have actually got troubleshooters already. It's only us in the UK that's been waiting yeah. for it. And it, and it was anyway. that because you ended up fili- filming your your wrist like last time? Uh, no, it's because <laughs> um, I, I haven't even looked at it. I don't know what I filmed. All right, actually. okay. <clears throat> Fair uh, uh, but yes, yeah, so, so I'm I'm. So if you recall, when we uh, when we when we looked at this. When it was kickstarted, I wasn't going to bother. No, and it was during our 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 show. In fact, the interview um, with Krista, yeah, with Krista, that uh, that I was then convinced. And during the show, I went on and backed it, and I I really like it. It's got such a nice feel mm. um, to it as a game. It's beautifully produced. Actually, the book is lovely, and the artwork. It's perhaps slightly more cartoony than I than that would be my perfect preference, but actually the artwork is excellent. It does really evoke the feel of of the sort of the comics that, yeah, um, uh, that it that it comes from that it's that's inspired it. Uh, and I'm really keen to 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 run something. So I, I've discussed before. I've I've had this idea of doing a kind of Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot murder mystery using uh, the troubleshooters. And I'm going to do that. I don't know how soon that will be written. I've got some nascent ideas going on in my head uh, about it. Um, but I want to do that. And it, it looks it looks a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm quietly impressed, actually. The, some of, the, some of the, the mechanics, we were chatting to a couple of people on the Discord, Paul and, a couple of, and Andy, um, about how the, the skill roles work. And the yeah. use of pips, and yeah. I, I, not grasped. So there was there was one thing in the way that it was described in the book, which implied that the pip would give you a bonus or a negative to your skill, but it doesn't. It's just it's it manages the role in a different way. So it's slightly yes. it's slightly abstracted, but actually it makes a bit of sense, and it should be easy. I think 
at the table. And um, for me, what I like about the pips is I'm not a big fan of the linear probability of percentile dice or indeed a d20. And this makes it somewhat non-linear in a way yeah. that probably, if you look at the maths of it, it's probably a massive advantage to people with a low skill and a yeah, massive I... disadvantage <clears throat> to people with a high skill. Um, so, but, you know, I think in the spirit of... Um, of the of the comics and of things going wrong sometimes when you're incredibly competent i think i can get away with it yeah uh, oh, i yeah. think i think i think these rules can get a, get away with that slightly weird abstraction yeah. probability there. I, I i suspect that that krista didn't sit down and do a lot of maths calculations to work out the probabilities of of your success at different points under different circumstances and i yeah. don't think he needed to because no. i think it's the it's the feel and i think you know having it be a little bit swingy is absolutely fine in the genre because yes, you know and Tintin doesn't succeed at everything you know and actually no. if he did it would be really boring so even if he's got a really good skill in something having a having a decent chance of failing if you've got a negative modifier if you've got negative pips on your die roll then um, yes. then that's that's a good thing but you're right it I, does it does massively disadvantage a, a, a character with a very high skill if you get a big if you get a minus five pips which basically means you roll your percentile dice, and if you get one to five on the tens die, you fail. No, no, uh, on 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 the ones die. On the ones die, sorry, you fail. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, regardless of what the other dice is, so that does that basically halves your success chance. Yeah, for although with a really high of course, skill. I think I'd have to remember the rules here, but you can of course flip your dice if you have a story point. Yep. So you may be able to, you may be able to defend that against before that. the pips yeah. take effect, but, yeah. um, uh, which may uh, even it out for for skilled people. But, um, but but I think in the look and the feel of the game, I think that works fine. I don't think that's yeah. a problem. If you were if you were uh, playing into the community who were you know more more focused on something that was simulating reality, yes. then it would be a problem. But I think in this one, it works. It works really well. Or oh, it should. Well, I say that I haven't played it, but it feels to me that it should work really well. I have played it, and I think it took a little time for me when I so I played it off the playtest document some time ago. Again, you can see that on our YouTube channel. I think I played it yeah. with the Wednesday group, and I was grokking the rules then. Um, one of the things I don't think I handled terribly well were scenes. Were uh, you GMing that one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Minoan affair. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, reading reading this full book, I, it offers more advice on on how scenes work. And I think um, I would play it differently if okay. I had read that advice beforehand. Um, so, what did you get? Did you? I can't remember what level you backed at. I just got the basic book. <clears throat> so right. I got well. No, actually, I'll say that I got the book. I got the uh, the U boat mystery. Excuse me, one moment. Yeah, so I got that. I got the I got three passports mm. and a little credit card thing that I think kind of feels entirely superfluous. The um, Air Mystique membership. Card. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I got. I love I love the passports as mm. character sheets, but I think my one gripe would be give us five rather than three. Well, you know, if you'd if you'd gone for a higher level, you would have had five passports, yeah. and they would have been um, uh, they would have been from different nationalities. 
Okay. With, with they are good. I, like, I do like them, though. I think they're, they're a nice touch. Yeah. Um, and also, the character sheet in the back of the book, if you take it and, um, and print and it and it fold, fold yeah. it in the way they suggest, would give you your little travel document. So yes, quite, I like that. Quite too. a nice touch. Yeah, your, I like that. Your emergency passport. I think they yeah. called it initially. Yeah, I don't they yeah. So I've got that plus some dice and um, and a little wallet for my for my membership card, like you used to get um, from. Um... Sorry, I'm just watching a, a van driver on my street almost take out the back of one of my neighbour's cars. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was close. Sorry. And I got a, a map of Paris, and I got some stickers. Now these stickers, I feel, aren't quite what I was expecting. I thought the stickers were going to be stickers of like passport stamps that you could then put in your passport, but they're okay. they're just stickers. There, one says the troubleshooters, one says long live the octopus. Okay. Um, and um, so, so did you get a separate map of map of Paris then? A nice big pullout one. Yes. Right. Okay. Because there's obviously a nice map of Paris in the back of the book. Yeah, um, no, this is but, this is oh, that map. Be, that that would be quite cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, I wouldn't and mind. I, wouldn't mind getting that. Actually, that would be nice. Yeah, and there's some other maps for even more, even wealthier people um, who had higher <laughs> things. Um, got what I like about it though. Just a little touch on this one. Um, have you looked at the spines of your two books? No, I haven't. Because the troubleshooters has a big number one on it. And the U-boat mystery has a big number two. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping we will see uh, a whole series of adventures all in hardback and with, with the numbers. So just like you might number the editions of your Tintin or whatever. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Anyway. I'll have, have to see if I can find my old Tintin books. I'm sure I wouldn't have thrown them away. But I don't know where they are. Ah, well, but. I can't help you there, mate. I don't do your tidying for you. Have you looked in the loft? They're, they're going to be in the loft somewhere if they are anywhere. Jolly good. Okay. But. I'm glad I've been helpful. <laughs> yeah, thanks, pal. That's about the extent of your help. Right. Good. Moving swiftly on, then. Uh, just the other thing I ought to quickly add is I also got Prusescence Regnant, which is the oh, um, yes. Morkborg album with an adventure in a swamp. Um, Any good? Um, um, yes. Uh that sounded makes, a bit qualified. Well, we don't use music in our games. No. But, so, I mean, is it music that you would listen to, though? No, or it's have music you not... you'd play in a game. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but I'm sure the boy will. Uh, the boy, we, we, I went for an edition that's got the deluxe edition and the basic edition. I've given the deluxe edition to the boy. And he's already planning to have his mates around to play a game in his room. Okay. While he spins the disc on his vinyl. <laughs> right, shall we move on? What else have we got to talk about in the world of gaming? The 40th anniversary of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I just realised, mm. you know, you played yeah. a lot of Call of Cthulhu. I thought this was an opportunity for you to wax lyrical about Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> um, I gave you the seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu. You did? For your it wedding. Is- on my shelf here, I am. I'm holding it in my hand as we speak. As I said, that's my best wedding present, but I won't tell my wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say your best wedding present, but you've never actually played Call of Cthulhu since since receiving that book, have you? Or at least you. No, well, I hadn't played Call of Cthulhu for donkey's years before that. Um, 
I, well, the thing is, though, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a collector. I do just like good books. Um, it, it's interesting because we were having a conversation on the Discord uh, yesterday, even I think it was, or the day before, um, about Cthulhu hack and the fact that I wasn't going to back it um, on the grounds that I don't know that I will ever play Call of Cthulhu again. Mm. Um, and the reason I said that or I say that, is I've played so much of it back in my youth, in my 20s, and it was yeah. so good, and it was it was such fun. I, I just kind of feel that unless there was a, a new twist uh, to, 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 to sort of re-peak my, my interest, I've probably done it. Mm. Um, you can never go home again. You can't stand in the same river twice and all that sort of nonsense about yeah, precisely. Of your past glories. Um, and I think Delta Green didn't do it for me. Uh, I don't think that offers sufficient. It Difference. just adds kind of it just adds kind of secret agents to Cthulhu, which is kind of not the point of Cthulhu for me. And high caliber repeating weapons. Well, that well, that obviously wasn't enough to get me into Delta Green. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I think you know, Cthulhu is about your your average person uncovering some very unaverage stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and how you do that, and how you react to that, and how you cope with it, and what you do with that knowledge is is the the core story for me in Call of Cthulhu. Not being, I'm a super secret agent who can who is hunting down all this stuff. So I think Delta Green didn't do it for me. So I think finding finding an angle to, to get me re-enthused to run through Cthulhu again, um, that would be kind of necessary, I think, for me to get into Cthulhu. But, I mean, that said, Cthulhu is one of my, one of my favourite games. Some of, the, some of those campaigns we played back in the day were, were absolutely awesome. And, uh, you know, some, some, some fabulous characters from then that I still, I still remember now. Uh, but, like you say, I... I, yeah, I don't. At this moment, I don't see myself playing or running Cthulhu. Not in mm. the foreseeable future. Well, that's a bloody waste of a bloody wedding present, then. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. I love that present. I've read it, and I, I, it's on my shelf. And I often, I often look at it, and it, it brings a nice warm glow. So uh, you know, it's not wasted at all, pal. No, no, no. no <clears> I'm <throat> only joking. I'm only joking. Um, so. Um, Let's talk about our weekend away. Let's just make all our listeners really jealous. Um, <laughs> given yeah. that we have paid for it purely out of Patreon funding. No, we haven't. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't paid for one penny of it out of Patreon no. funding. Uh, this is very much a thing we were doing actually a little bit before we started this podcast, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is our fifth year, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, um... so only just before we started the podcast, actually. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, six months or so, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the first one. Uh, but yes, so um, off to the lovely wilds of Norfolk to um, to play. Where we, we assume the, the the four games that we would normally run. Well, for normally, yeah. So well, I so, can tell you, I am playing Forbidden Lands. I am running yeah. for you a Forbidden Lands adventure, Excellent. which we have not played since we were last in Norfolk. No. No, we haven't. We haven't. Have we? No, we haven't met, because the only time we were going to meet, you sorted off to Essen, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, so we were so we... planning on having this game that I'm going to run at Norfolk um, oh, yeah. <clears> on, <throat> then, on the Essen weekend, but yeah. then, then I went there. 
Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I'd be very surprised if Tony isn't going to continue his L5R campaign. Yeah. I have a I have a brand new character, seeing my character Moshi Azamuku was killed in the last episode. And rightly so. It was the right and time for him so. to go. Yeah. He was a he was a a broken, twisted, evil man who was trying to do something good through evil means and it all it was And that all was just him at the beginning of the campaign before he even started. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Although <clears throat> the the sto- the story did develop, so actually when when I started that character, the the kind of the meta story for his his background that played out in the last scenario wasn't even a thing. No, um, we we sort of played that in to justify kind of the way I was behaving, um, which is basically going behind your back to to, to yeah. gather more Meiho power and take and take control from from the other Meiho Sukai. Uh, well, the only reason I corrupted you was because I knew you'd try and kill me if it all came out, and I wanted a way of stopping you. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't corrupt you because I wanted to corrupt you. It was simply self-preservation. But you know, I I didn't try and kill you at any point. All I did was offer you the opportunity for you to kill yourself. Yes, as you should have done. It was it was Andy, did, that, Andy that shot. Person. It was Andy that shot me. <laughs> he did <laughs> shoot was, you through the neck. <laughs> yeah, but I was. Not doing the honourable thing, and I was wandering into the Shadowlands to, to yeah. fight the bad stuff until I die. You, you but then Andy shot me anyway. <laughs> yeah. See, if Andy'd let me go, I would have done good in the Shadowlands at that oh, point. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Don't give us this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done. His his life was... He was trying to save his brother, and when that failed, he was, he was going to do it. But anyway, Andy, being the, being the honourable kind of guy that he is, shot me in the back. <laughs> so anyway, I've got my new character for next time, which I'm looking forward to playing. Akodo uh, uh, Nikenzai, who's a, from Lion Clan, but, but trained at the Dragon Muramoto Bushy School. Uh, yeah. I think you might like him more than you liked Moshi. Right. Okay. Because he's a bit I ought, to, I ought to dig honorable. my character out of wherever my character is, because, again, that's another game we haven't played since we were last in Norfolk. And, uh, what the the game of finding your character? Yes, <laughs> which happens once a year every time we head yeah, towards exactly. Norfolk. Um, so also, I assume that Andy will continue his uh, Savage Worlds of Solomon Kane campaign. Yeah, that's what I think. That's one that we do need to not assume and just make sure we know what okay. and Andy's playing. But um, yeah, no, that's yeah, cool. Um, and I'm I'm going to run Tales of the Old West. Cool. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, for a while I struggled to work out what system I wanted to run. So I did do a little bit of Star Trek. What did I do before Star Trek? What was the campaign I was running for you guys before then? Because I don't remember. No, it was obviously entirely forgettable. Um... <laughs> was it Song of Ice and Fire? Was there something in between? Oh, no, it was Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, that was the main campaign. Yeah. Then after we finished Song of Ice and Fire... And, uh, I did a couple of Star Treks for you, I think. I think it was Star Trek, yeah. Did we go straight to Star Trek? And then I didn't really get the vibe from that, so I went and did... Started a Coriolis one last time. Yeah. And then... Then... See, yeah, I didn't really get the vibe for that either. And seeing, I think, that my the big plan I had is probably playing out in book two of Mercy of the Icons anyway. I thought I might as well just do something else. So I decided to do Tales of the Old West this time. 
mm-hmm. which is great. It's good for us to, to to play test it a bit more. And it's actually, it's been really fun because one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing historical games, about doing Tales of the Old West and about doing um, War Stories is the the chance to do a bit of historical research and look into mm-hmm. stuff. And So I've bought a load of books, <clears throat> um, I've read a load of stuff and I've done a load of research for both of them. And having finished the second version, second draft of the Rendezvous with Destiny campaign last week, I've had a week to to sort of dig into Tales of the Old West. So I'm now setting this one in New Mexico because you guys mm-hmm. said that you wanted to be ranchers yeah. and that's an ideal place really to, to set it. And it's it's kind of on the border with Mexico. So you've got all of that kind of trouble. And there are still some Native Americans that haven't been completely suppressed by 1872, which is when I'm going to set the game. Um, so that, 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 that seemed really interesting. So I've done a bit of work. I've, I've, I've done a little bit of work on New Mexico, got a bit of history, um, putting that together for the game, which I'll send to you in advance. But it's been cool. really good fun doing that. I really enjoy doing that kind of thing. Um, you know, the one that I did before, the state I did before, for no particular reason, actually, was Nevada. So mm-hmm. I've done quite a lot of on that, and that's quite a good place, actually. Even though it's not sort of iconically Wild West, Nevada in the early 1870s is quite good because you've got a growing population, you've got quite a lot of mining and sort of logging interests, and you've also got the the, the Union Pacific Railroad mm. uh, is just completed at the turn of, the, of that decade. So you've got that running through the north of the state as well. So there's quite a lot you can do with that with that state um but yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to it It should be really good fun hopefully i do need to go through and make sure i've got all the latest versions of the rules sorted out <laughs> to hand so that's a job for this week yeah uh, but yeah looking forward to that it should be good fun cool cool right um we should crack on with this was only gonna be a short recording we've already spent uh, <laughs> 40, 40 minutes. minutes doing right now we are gonna insert an interview now I'm with um, Nigel Matthews of GamesQuest, CEO of GamesQuest indeed, and podcaster himself, which is, uh, I think, Nigel, why you volunteered to do this interview when I first approached GamesQuest. Well, the, yeah, that and I like to talk. About. <laughs> and, I, and we discovered just how much you like to talk when uh, we went for dinner. At, um, we, at did. <laughs> we did. We did. That's outrageous. And we went. <laughs> We got that. We got that. Uh, that guy who was all by himself was the uh, door. Yeah. Door. His name is Door from Israel, and he was all by himself. Bless him. And, um, and he didn't quite believe what was happening when he he was roped into our little mini gang and, yeah. uh, and, and came to dinner for us. And turns out he was a um, he was a, a, a new designer, wasn't he? he was cool. So a prospective uh, customer for you. Uh, yeah, it was perfect. It couldn't ask for more. Lovely chap. Well, what I loved about him particularly is because there was only one space at the in the restaurant we we said oh jump ahead of us and he went in and then he came out and he said actually i'd rather sit with you guys yeah, would you mind that was brilliant wasn't it because you're far more interested so, uh, yeah, so that, yeah. that was a good evening um and thank you uh for entertaining us uh, at that time but one of the things we didn't manage to do at essen that we hope to do is record this interview yeah, correct and i have been wanting to record an interview with you guys for some time because in this world of Kickstarters for role-playing games, the job you do is vitally important for, for getting us our games. Yeah. I remember, I mean, so I, I am surrounded, even as we speak, by products that you have sent me in the last week or so. I've got right. the, 
the the vinyl album from uh, Exalted Funeral, Patrice yes. Pregnant for, for Merc Boyer. I've got troubleshooters slipping and sliding all over my desk. The covers of that are very shiny. And I've got a box set of Twilight 2000. I know. So thank you and thank your team for doing a, a, a bang up job on that. All Fantastic. came nicely packed. I mean, it's a bit silly because I, I live, I think, about three miles away from, from where you're based. But uh, <laughs> it's fun watching it go off to the um, to the mail centre, at Jubilee Mail Centre. Um, but I want to talk a bit about that process. And I've been wanting to actually for years because you came in for a bit of stick. I remember, what, about two or three years ago now. Where... A bit longer than that, actually. But was yes, I know, I, know where, I, know where you, I know what you're about to say, but carry on. And it was the Forbidden Lands release. Oh, right. Yes. And I remember that that uh, so that um, Free League were late with delivering that to you guys, but not only that, but um, the guys at Helmgar. So it's kind of an interesting coincidence that we've got troubleshooters and Twilight Two Thousand arriving kind of within days of each other this time. Helmgast were releasing Cult, and they'd been late delivering that. So I remember at the time, Free League had already warned us that delays you know the, the fulfillment was going to be a bit difficult because you guys had got cult to do and that had been huge um but i remember feeling you know it was all explained very nicely and i remember reading a lot of comments back on free league's forums and on the kickstarter thing of people saying oh this this is useless why aren't we being done first we had our slot and i thought it's worth it's worth talking about the fulfillment process because a bunch of yep. work has to has to happen Oh, huge. Um, but before we get into that, we ask all our guests about um, their life in gaming. So how did you end up running this company and, and how did you start as a gamer? Oh, um, God, uh, I started um, not, not so much as a board gamer, but mostly as a, a, a role player um, and um Actually, with Steve Jackson's the fantasy trip when I was when oh, I was wow. younger, yeah, yeah, um, fantasy trip, and then, of course they they kind of did that, and that's how I won Steve Jackson game by running onto their stand like an excited schoolboy when I saw they were relaunching it. Um, <laughs> Tell me back to my childhood, um, and then and then I got into play by mail games. So mm -hmm. um, I was a massive postal gamer. I was quite big in the postal game. I actually ended up designing my own role playing game that which was run by Post, um, oh. and did that for, for a number of years. Uh, it was called Mystery Adventure games and my, my role-playing game was Infinite Ventures uh, because I, I didn't understand that people were designing role-playing games to run by post um, and based it on a on a on an RPG system well how can possibly somebody who's living 500 miles away uh, know that you're rolling dice I mean yes. that's not what role-playing is about it was all about imagination and storytelling um, mm -hmm. But kind of moved on to that, then went into, you know, I got, I got trapped into the world of civilization for a number of years, you know. Got you mean you grew up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I didn't grow up. I just, it just, I moved away um, and, and then kind of got back into, um, into, into convention gaming, uh, role playing. I, I ran a murder mystery and adventure uh, role playing um, uh, company called Near Death Experience with a bunch of mates at different conventions that kind of went on there. And then, yeah, I lost my world to video gaming for, for, for a number of years. Um, and then uh, literally um, by absolutely um, it was a hobby. My brother once said to me, um, he that he he sold a book on um, on eBay um, that 
he had it was a it was a a, a psychology um, textbook um, mm. that he was studying at the time, and he he bought it a year ago for like twenty five quid, and then resold it for thirty five quid for a second hand book. And I went, what on eBay? But yeah, I went really. Oh, that's interesting. And I saw my collection of books. I thought, I remember Joe's Philip Joe's Farmer books, the river, the river, mm. um, 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 it's not river horse, is it? Um, Anyway, I, it a, there was a book of uh, five books by Philip Joe's Farmer, which I enjoyed, but I thought, well, I probably won't read them again. I'll just put them on eBay. And I put the set of five on for 99p, and it sold for like nearly 50 quid. And I went, oh, that's a bit of fun. I called it the psychology of green when you trade on eBay, right? You, yeah. you, you put something on eBay, and it, and, it, and and when you put, and, and this is before buy it now, really. It was all auction, it was, and it was being read. And then when you get a bid, it go green. And it was like, it was very addictive. So I started literally, you see the adverts these days where they have a house full of stuff and before they know it, there's nothing left, it's empty. Um, and, and we started um, started to do that. Um, and then I went, I know, I'll go to a car boot sale and see what I can find. And I, and I picked up a copy of Hero Quest. Oh, I, right, yeah. Oh, I wonder how much. I picked up a two quid. I went, oh, I love board gaming, but I haven't really done board gaming much. Um, and this was obviously was 20 years ago. Um, and I, I thought I sold it for 30 quid. Mm, the prices oh, are close all that. So, and then I found an Escape to Colditz, and I knew nothing oh. about Escape to Colditz. And it turned out it was the first edition. I picked it up for like four quid and sold it for 73 quid. It was like, Hold on, this is a bit of fun. And it became a bit of a hobby, me going to car boot sales. And then I started uh, getting more back into board gaming and um, so that I could understand what I was buying, as well as secondhand books and first edition books and that sort of stuff as well. And and then it became, well, and then when we had kids, my wife started doing this kind of part-time. And, mm-hmm. um, and it grew from there. We then eventually ended up um, uh, buying stock from Asmodee and Isdebium and launching our own, our own, um, our own internet company, trading on eBay and then eventually Amazon. And um, and and I and I I found I rediscovered my love of, uh, of board gaming and and how yeah you know, because when back in my day yeah you know, board gaming you had you know, games like Britannia and a few other board games and Cosmic Encounters and stuff, but. You know, it, it was a bit of a slug getting through yeah. the rules and that sort of stuff as well. Whereas what I then discovered about the emerging board game market was how diverse and how much more easier ticket to ride was there. How, my God, how easy. I still pay ticket to ride. Love it, you know, even to this day. And um, and then you discover that this whole world of board gaming and got really back into board gaming in a massive way, massive way. Um, and, and it became my my passion and my hobby as well as then you know my company really and that's really in a way how i how i got back into board gaming and so, so is it fair to say that that games quest itself then started out as an internet company selling completed games oh. before you got into fulfillment well, well games quest was, was we, we had a we had a, a little little company that we were sole traders of was called celtic goddess books mm-hmm. so the funny story is is that when we decided to launch um you know our new company and it wasn't just myself and my wife uh, emma it was our friend amanda because emma and, and they didn't i i was still working in the it industry and earning good money <laughs> back yeah. in the days back in the days anyway um 
So I, I convinced um, Emma and her friend Amanda, who were just coming out of their second children and they're looking for work, the kids were three years old, and we'd be running this part-time. And I said, well, why don't we do brand new products? And why don't you two do it together? And just see how it goes. We, we, we thought of a few ideas. Um, and they said, yeah, well, I was going to give it a go. And it was growing quickly. And then I got made redundant, bizarrely, about four months later. And oh, I right. said, well, I've got some money. I'd like to give us a go. I really like doing this. So uh, and I got some ideas. So we, we, we kind of formed that triumphant of three people to do that um and um and yeah and it was purely selling a brand new board game purely on on the internet purely on ebay uh from the start with it purely on ebay really um but it was um the 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 business as we found out doing it manually was was not scalable it was just just not scalable so we based on my background we went and, and looked at the market for what we call e-commerce software that yeah. was allow us to be able to list on multiple channels not just ebay but amazon and, and and we never even thought about international trade at the time i remember going oh and then and then the company will we were um, the software that we were using so we can list on amazon germany and then amazon us and it's like well, yeah, it was oh, wow. very easy to do. And it was like suddenly we had an international um, uh, e-commerce business selling board games all over the world and role-playing stuff as well. So, so yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Um, games Quest um, started off. And bizarre, we, we, we said, well, we can't be Celtic Goddess Books. Um, mm-hmm. So we need to start. Um, and, and Amanda, who uh, was very OCD, was going, well, um, we had an account with uh, with this Devium at the time, which mm-hmm. now has the day. And the, three, three, day, yeah. and the first three letters was CEL from Celtic Goddess Books. So she said, we've got to think of something beginning with CEL for some reason that we we were naive at the time so we ended up calling ourselves celestial games and books um, oh, and that was our that was our that was our tagline and then eventually after a few years we then rebranded to become games quest so. oh that's brilliant and so where in that story did you then start getting into fulfillment for games that weren't yet published so purely by accident, um, to be honest with you, hadn't even thought about it. Wasn't even, I didn't really know much about Kickstarter. It was a twinkle in the eye, really, about seven years ago. And, and it, it's a funny story um, I'll just share with you. So it was a guy called Julian. And Julian was one of my biggest customers. Um, mm-hmm. And Julian um, um, was um, he, a lovely guy. And he was basically talking to Steve Finn Games, Dr. Finn Games, Steve Finn. And, um, and he was a regular contact with, with Steve. And he said, well, why don't you reach out to the Games Quest, um, who I buy from regular? They ship stuff all over Europe. Um, they might be able to help you because he was looking for a European distribution. Mm-hmm. So Steve Finn uh, reached out to me and, um, and Julian warned me that he would. And um, well, I had a chat with him and, and he said, I said, well, how many, how many games have you got? And he went 80. And I said, well, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, no problem. And I'm thinking, well, how much do I charge him? And, and then, and it was very obvious there was no specialist fulfillment companies out there. You look at traditional fulfillment companies, oh my God, you try working out what these guys were going to charge you. It was like, you know, it was ridiculous. It was postage plus a percentage, um, packaging plus a percentage, first pick this, second pick this, labeling costs. I mean, you trying to work out what the hell you were being charged. I'd spend three days like, trying to go, I still don't know, right. And then I said to my warehouse team at the time, on average, how much does it take to pack? How, how what's our average packaging cost? And we just went, all right, we'll just take our postage cost plus a percent plus a flat fee on top, and we'll charge that. Mm. And 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 then Steve, we did a good job. It was only eighty orders, and, and then Steve said, oh, you did a good job. And then he went, oh, here's Eduardo at Pensa First Games, and he said he needs some help. And so they were friends, and they still are friends. And 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 I the same for Eduardo, and we went, yeah, we do that. 
But the penny drop for me was when Steve Finn came back a couple of months later and said, right now, I'm working on my next project. And it was like, whoa, what do you mean your next project? How many <laughs> projects a year do you actually do? And he said, oh, I could do like two or three. And like, and what, and the same for Eduardo. Yeah. And, and same for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, hold on a minute. This is repeat business. I mean, it's really hard to and long and slow to build up a fulfillment business based on run rate orders. You go get new customers, hard slog. But I went, well, hold on a minute. If I can add some real good value to these people and we're very specialists in what we do, then they'll keep coming back again and again and again for the projects. And that's what we, that's what we did it. Um, and, and then we said, well, let's try and invest in that side of the business, see where it kind of grows. And that's why I brought on, um, I was talking to a guy called Andy Carter, who's still with us, the director of the business. And we were looking at potentially opening up a board game cafe. Um, but we knew it was going to be about 18 months before that become, might become a reality. And so I said to Andy, so look, why don't you jump on board here with me? Because um, he was in between things. I said, then give this, because um, we've been trying it. We've got a few other little customers coming on board. I said, I'd like to give this a bit of a go. Well, Andy, who never had any experience in really sales or anything, but we, we, we just took to it like duck to water. And, um, and, you know, he was very clever in terms because we did reach out to current Kickstarters, but what he did is also reached out to Jamie Stegmeyer because Jamie Stegmeyer was um, was obviously writing the Bible and he had an online spreadsheet and that sort of stuff as well. So we convinced Jamie was doing the rounds of testing out fulfillment companies and and he tested us out and obviously we really made a, you know did a very very good job on it as you can imagine and he mm -hmm. rated us as the number one his preferred choice in europe based on it and it was a tricky tricky campaign but um he rated us as his preferred choice in europe now on top of that we'd won the defius and simon um because of our contacts at asma day and boom, explosion it just went really 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 quickly um and and i, and I say to people and honestly because we had a, a little bit of a bad a blip five years ago where we just you know for, rightly so we took that we were under criticism because um we we and, and people say forget to understand what what was what was happening and forget to understand what the community is like hmm. we're all really lovely people genuinely board gamers and publishers are really nice people and we are very nice and my whole organization of board games we're all board gamers yeah and what we failed to do in those early days was not say no to people yeah 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 we couldn't say no to people we just wanted to help people out and i remember and i actually named them steamforge um we're working with qml and qml didn't tell us that stuff was arriving and neither did steamforge nobody told us stuff was arriving and suddenly we had two 40-foot containers arrive at dock and and people say oh please help us please help us and we were going like we've had no notification of this we can't get it into the schedule but we are we'll take it we'll see what we can do you know and that's and that was a typical example of we just couldn't say no to people. Mm. We didn't have the right proper processes and procedures in place to scale our business up because we just grew too fast and we simply were too nice. We were Yeah, I mean, this must be a problem, uh, you know, Kickstarter and, and this idea of crowdsourcing for fund or crowdfunding, I should say, all these games is relatively young in itself. And so you experience all their growing pains as well as your own, I guess. Well, it, it, typically, and I think, um, I mean, we we've, um, we we came to realise when when we went to that period that it was never going to happen again because what we realised is that reputation in, in in our sector is 
everything is mm-hmm. absolutely everything um you know um, and hence why we have you know the marketing team that put the update out for fulfillment and that sort of stuff to try and tell people and we've had to educate you thomas is a perfect example of mm-hmm. telling or educating the publishers about scheduling and processes you know and you know and and thomas would bless him you know I, because you know rightly we didn't educate enough um would just say all oh, right i've got all the stuff coming it's arriving in two weeks and can you do my my, my project for me um Oh, uh, yeah. Um, um, no, uh, but well, you know, I mean, you're scrambling around. Uh, now we have a process in place where they have to fill in a fulfillment notification form. They have to fill in an advanced shipping notification form. Um, they have to schedule it in in advance. I mean, now Thomas is brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. now he tells us, like, you know, six months in advance, here's all the projects that are coming in. Here they all are. And then we, we have them scheduled. We know in advance they're coming from. So it's been a process of educating um, the publishers as well that this is our process. This is what we need to do. And, yeah, it's proved. Um, and we've changed that over the certainly over the last three years massively. Okay. Um, well, that, that might be an interesting point to bring up. Um, so... so- in a way, the first the first time that Games Quest uh, became apparent to me was uh, a time a few years ago, as we said, when um, uh, two uh, Helmgast had, I think, delivered to you somewhat late, somewhat out of their slot, as intended, yes. Yes. Uh, a big cult uh, order, and that you know, cult was quite a complex uh, order because there were all sorts of additions. Yes. There were um, Censored editions without the rude pictures in. There were ones with the rude pictures in that were kind of Kickstarter exclusives. There was a Bible edition, I think, all sorts of stuff like that. So you had quite a complex order there. Then on top of that, um, Free League sent, again, late, maybe not as late as uh, as uh, Cult was, but they sent Forbidden Lands. And I remember quite a lot of vitriol online Yes. Aimed at you guys at Games Quest from people saying, "Well, this this simply isn't good enough," and um, uh, and I just want to can, can I take you back to that time? It might be a nightmare for you, so I'm sorry if I'm triggering you or anything. <laughs> but um, what was that like at your end? Because I'm imagining, you know, you've got a warehouse, you've got a bunch of tables. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I can't even work out the beginnings of how you you know you take containers worth of stuff and you think, right, I've got you know, 200 orders to fulfill with all sorts of different requirements in each one. Um, And I've got to do it now because everybody wants it now. They want to be the first in the queue. They want to get their parcel as soon as they see other people opening their parcels. Uh, What was that process like for you back then? And what have you changed to make it better now? You talk about education, but is there Education, yeah. I mean, that was a typical example of, um, and, and, and I don't mean to be disrespective to, to um, Thomas. To, to Thomas. <laughs> and I, and, and he's I not listening. I, yeah, he won't listen. But it's very much a case of, um, of that was a perfect example where people people would take us for granted, would take us mm. for granted that the stock would just show up, we could turn it around in two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, and we're very good, and we were very good at what we're doing. And in some cases, yeah, it would be possible to do that. But um, if in the circumstances where, you know, we already had a large project and it was a large and complex project and other people have booked in their schedule, well, yeah, look, some people are really important. I mean, Freely are going to be with us for, for over five years. They're one of our, one of our top five customers. So, of course, we're going to try and bend over backwards where we can. 
but equally not at the expense of somebody who's communicated, has scheduled, and has done every and has ticked every one of our boxes. You know, we can't then just turn around um, and 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 do that now. In comparison to what that was like three years ago, in comparison to what it's like now, that rarely happens. But what people got to realise is that um, not all publishers, but some publishers will hide behind our skirts. For the, mm. the phrase, isn't it? They were behind our because, uh, because reputation is everything. They don't want to fall on their own swords to, to, to admit they made a mistake. I'm not saying the Free League have made a mistake, but that's, mm. not, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know... Um, we are beholden, and a lot of people don't see things that are going on and that we can't publicly really say because ultimately the backers are not our customers. We like to treat them as our customers, yeah. but ultimately they don't pay our bills. The publisher pays our bills. So yeah. we've got to be a little bit respectful and, and we can't reply, you know, and we can't really come out and say as much as we would like to, as much as my marketing company would like to, my marketing <laughs> department would say, well, we need to be honest. We need to tell people that this is going on. And I said, well, you can't. And I wouldn't allow you. And there is a certain level that we can say, and there are some things that we can't say. Mm. Um, and, you know, what, what have we done differently? Well, the big thing is educating and putting our processes in place that say, if you don't fill in a fulfillment notification form, no matter what it is, you will not be on our schedule. You know, it's simple as that. And we educate mm. people now to give us a, as much advanced notification. So, and there's also little things like, freight i mean oh my god i mean freight right now is hell yeah. for everybody um in terms of cost but we say look we, we we've got a freight lady called steph who works um in the office and we don't add a huge amount of margin but i've seen what some of the quotes have come out. i've seen obviously when i do custom clearance what these some of these freight companies are charging my publishers and i cringe and so we said well look we'll organize it for two reasons one yes we'll make a bit of money um but nowhere near to the money that we see being made um and secondly um we have more control and visibility um so for example you'll see that when we when we've organized a paper something we can put it on the schedule that's on the water but it's not important about it's not it's also important not just about educating the publishers and making sure that communication 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 um i'm not saying that we're perfect because it goes both ways but it's also about educating the backers this is what the blog's all about mm. the blog is all about not just about educate but educating the backers because honestly um well, I call them armchair logistic warriors, and they yeah. are few, but they believe that they know everything about logistics. Apparently, I had one guy who was going to come and talk to me at Essen and tell me how to run my business, um, and it was all to do with it was all to do with the Catalyst business. And I was quite prepared to tell him off the record. It's like Catalyst is a really good example of us getting some vitriol. Well, hold on a minute. Speak to Catalyst. Um, they simply did not send enough stock. Not mm. our fault. And then suddenly when we got the, or when we finally get instructions to split all the orders, everybody's going, well, okay, there's only 200 orders. They can get it out. They, why, why, they take, why is it now scheduled for the following week? Because we have other projects running. We have another project that's in the middle of the project. And Catalyst is still complex. We can't yeah. just drop everything and just go, oh, I'm sorry, um, Mr. Other Publisher. We're going to hold you for a minute because this one that should have been done two months ago but hasn't been done, but through no fault of our own, that means that it's going to, that we're going to make that jump ahead of you. No. And mm. I will challenge any, any backer 
that, that thinks they know my business and I will set them right. I will educate <laughs> them. I will absolutely educate them because it is not easy. Um, you know, I've got four project managers, for God's sake, four project managers. You know, they know what they're doing and um, we, we want to get stuff out. And, and then the other thing that I remind people, sorry, I'm getting a bit effervescent here, but... No, that's great. It's great. It's all good well, stuff. We, we, what people can understand, right, is I don't charge. I only get paid when I ship a parcel. That's mm. where I make my money. So me not shipping parcels and holding stock in my warehouse means that I'm not getting money. I'm not being paid. So I want stuff to go out quickly. I want, But I want it to go out well. I want to go out correctly. We've reduced the amount of errors that come now from not analyzing data properly, returns and that sort of stuff has been massively reduced because we take our time and people get a better service for it. So... Um, uh, I, I'll tell you a funny story about a, a typical example of what I call an armchair logistic warrior. Simon, we were clearing Simon containers through Germany. We'd clear three through, it was Frank, right? we'd clear three, three through, through, fine, seven coming through. And then a German official was saying, nine, nine, this is not a board game, it is a card game. Excuse my German accents for your yeah. listeners. And it, <laughs> it's a card game. And we were going, no, it's not a card game. And we spoke to German customs offices. Um, Simon, um, I tried to speak to them, but then sent through all lots of documentation. We were talking to them. Simon would communicate with them, you know, convincing them. We had a, a, a an ank banker that called up our customer support team um, and uh, got our number. I called up and I spoke to Dale, who's in the office, and was basically saying like, "Yo, what is going on? You guys can't organise anything." And like, no, we, we explained to the German customs office that it's a card game. We're going with not a card game. Sorry, we're going through the harmonised code. Yes, so have I. Uh, sorry, what do you mean? Yes, I have called the German customs office, and I have also told them that it is not a card game. And we're going like. <laughs> Right. Come on, just just like really, really? I mean, come on. I mean, so yeah. Um yeah. yeah. But it's education, education, education about our processes and about our season, but 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 also to say that we try to protect the publisher as best as we can because the backers obviously don't see the problem. We encourage, we try to encourage the publisher to control the narrative. And to be open and communicative, but ultimately it's still down to the publisher to do that. So. Yeah. Although you, you know, your 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 blog that you've mentioned is very useful, and I'll put a link to it in our show notes if anybody wants to check out what's going on. But I, in a way, I thought uh, we could we could share a little bit of that. I've got a few questions sure. to ask about sure. about this because the blog kind of explains the process. Um, right, right down to. I'm going to start from the. Uh, I'm going to take your latest UK blog entry and sort of work my way up. So um, you've got down at the bottom here future projects, um, and there's a bunch of things mentioned here: um, crafting kingdoms, uh, nutty squirrels of Oakwood Forest, and tin robot games, um, uh, things like that. How f- when when that says future projects, how far in the future? What what stage of that with you? Um, you know, I'm not seeing anything, for example, in future projects about stuff that I know is eventually coming from Free League. So when when do they start appearing in that section? Well, basically, once the fulfillment notification form is coming in, a lot of these is that we we may not have um, organised the um, we might not have organised the shipping for it. 
Um, right. It could be that uh, we've notifications coming to the end of manufacturing or it's on its way to the port um, or that we are currently in the process of organizing the freight for it. Um, you know, Q, uh, QML, for example, they um, they organize their own freight. So right. we kind of maybe know that a, a fulfillment notification form has been filled in for it. So we know it's imminent. But we know it's coming, and but we may not quite sure but where you, it is. You know, um, and this goes back yeah. to if I organise a freight, then I know exactly what's on the water and when it's coming. So, yeah. Cool, and that's the next one. Then you've got in uh, project on the water in the air. Uh, I can dig that one. That's obviously it's in a shipping container somewhere Correct. on the water. Um, and uh, again, this is something that um, Free League have just started doing, and I know Chaosium did it beforehand. Uh, is saying, you know, you can track the boat yourselves using this link, which is always fun. Um, uh, I, I hate it when they do that. <laughs> so why do you hate it when they do that? Because, again, right, so logistic armchair warriors, and again, there are few and far between. I'm not saying that I tarnish a brush, but they don't understand. They believe that as soon as they hit ports, it should be in our warehouse the following day and out that week. Right. <laughs> they don't understand the process that happens when it hits a port. And yeah, sometimes we are shocked sometimes that it arrives within two days, but that is rare. That mm. is rare, you know. And and you know, we've had stuff like, you know, I've just mentioned the um the Simon incident, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff it, it, it most of the stuff, but sometimes they get a customs inspection. They could have a drone inspection. They can have a full-on um, customs inspection. Certifiable, a few months ago, bless them, they imported to Germany but didn't have the right coding on their box. And a, and a particular German official picked up on that and said, you've got a CMR but no safety instructions. Mm. Yeah, so just because it's hit the port doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fly through. It just yeah. doesn't happen like that. So this is why we say, it's where we put in that port so that they can see what stage it's at. Right. Once it's released a port, then we can move it on. But there are reasons why. Um, and listen, you know, if you don't know, if you don't live this process day in, day out, it can seem really easy. Um, and, 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 and But there are a lot of pitfalls and traps. And it's like a dungeon, guys. Okay, <laughs> It's like a dungeon. Sometimes you've got to do detect traps or sometimes you just you don't know. Sometimes you get you get you get screwed. And, you know, it's no fault of our own. It's just something will pop up or things will get delayed. OK, so um, so I, I happen to know that a game that I assume you're distributing, which is um, the board game of um, Tales from the Loop, is never heard of it. Somewhere on on the water, it's not yet on your list anywhere. But yeah, but the next on your list, actually, under project data analysis, is Merkborg Heretic, which is a supplement for Merkborg, um, yeah. which I'm very excited about. So, yeah. what's happening when it's in project data analysis? So um, it, it, in the past with, um, with, with Project, we used to, um, back in the band, band days, it's like we used to get given the data, okay, and trust that the data that we've got is correct. And when you're saying data here, basically it's back a list data. of names and addresses of the people who are expecting, you know, one or more copies of yeah. the core game plus the add-ons and all the stuff that um, is part of a Kickstarter thing. Yeah, Correct. Now... Project data analysis means a whole lot of things. We have a code here. We have, and uh, uh, we believe is a duty of care to our publishers and the backers. 
Okay, and that takes in a whole range of facets from data analysis. Okay, we we do checks. We know, for example, that you can't send a parcel to a PO box somewhere. You know, um, and and so let's random country Luxembourg. I mean, this is not true, but I'm using it as an example. Imagine Luxembourg. You cannot send a parcel over two kilos to a PO box. We know this. So we'll do some data analysis on this as well. We'll do some data checks. We'll check to see whether it's the, try to do as many checks in there as possible as we possibly can. Or it could be data manipulation. I mean, some people use Backkit. We have a button in Backkit export our, our format out there as well. So, but also just to try to uh, analyze the data. The other thing is, for example, um, um, when it's come, it could be that they've sent stock to the wrong place. It could be that they've sent stock to the UK because now, obviously, with Brexit, we have two two hubs. Um, right. One could be Germany. One could be, we had a situation where they sent all the stock to Germany when they knew full well they shouldn't have done that. They should have sent some of the stock here to the UK to do the UK fulfillment. So we'll do some project analysis. Um, uh, have they sent us the right amount? Stock is the biggest thing. So let's process the data. Let's get the data uploaded. Let's see if there's got enough stock. No, you haven't sent us enough stock. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we can only go, when we get the stock from an ASM, we can only go by, yeah, this is what they should have sent us, what we received. It's mm -hmm. not until we get the back of data thing we analyze whether they actually, we have all the correct amount of information. So it's not just about information. It's about the right stock. It's about making sure everything's done. It's about making sure that they are we have the right stock in the right location for the right orders so for example it's more cheaper and quicker to send to iceland from the uk than it is from germany right okay um it's i guess we're closer even though iceland's part of the correct European it's repair. cheaper for me to send and and as all you wonderful norwegian backers will have found out from simon um <laughs> it is much more um uh, um cost effective to send stuff from the uk to norway and switzerland mm -hmm. you know from as from germany now um we told simon to send all their stuff for norway and switzerland to the uk they didn't I mean, and they ended up in Germany. We tried to make the best thing of it. It didn't work. It became a bit of a nightmare. But again, um, we, we, we could only do what the information that we're given with. So there's a whole massive amount of things that go on with that project data analysis. And it's not just about data. It's about stock. It's about a whole host of things that we, we do to, to make sure that analyze it. And then we present that back when we have, if, if the, if the, um, if the um, so so Freeleague was a good example. I think a few months ago that they they uploaded data that and there was a lot of duplication, right? I mean, you know um, where they they uploaded the, the correct and there was a lot of duplicate orders going out. That was not our fault of our own. That was that was down to to, to Freeleague that um, that made that error. But we tried to help where we possibly can. You know, we're trying mm. to analyze as best as we possibly can and see those stuff. mistakes before they. If we can, if yeah. we can, I mean, um, but you know, as I say, um, we would we would not have known that we would not have captured that. Um, um, in fairness, look, looking back on it, maybe a bad example of what we can capture. You know, we we wouldn't have captured that mm. information to know that those orders are potentially already gone. But it's something that we're looking at and say, well, how can we do that as well? So, and uh, if you've got like a thousand copies of a thing sitting on pallets in your warehouse, and you've got twelve hundred. Uh, addresses to send that thing to you can spot that and say Correct. what's yeah. going on here guys yeah absolutely um, and we've got the right stock and sometimes yeah. 
you know, so right, most 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 Kickstarters are fairly simple. You know, um, you might have three or four books, a map, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and other times we do tea turtle. <laughs> tea turtle. People doesn't really we have to literally build a whole shop of a picking station. Like normally about 300 different SKUs, you know, complicated picks. Sometimes the, the picks can be 40, 50 picks per order, you know, for oh, wow. pin badges to you know, so so data project data analysis isn't just about the stock. It's it's about a whole raft of potential things depending on the complexity, you know. Um have they got the right because sometimes people if you look at a pledge, for example, that pledge might contain, you know, seven different items. Does that mm. marry up to the data that we've been given? Oh, you would not believe some of the some of the things that we we catch and we've got to go back to the publishers. Well, can we check this? Because they're still not right to us, you know. Mm. So, um, so I'd say we believe that um, we have a duty of care to the publisher as well as to the backers. There's nothing worse than getting the right things. Um, so I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but how long does that process take, do you think, on average? How long do you expect in your planning that the data analysis is going to be once you've got that stuff? Well, again, it depends on the complexity and the communication, again, with the, with the publisher, you know. Mm. And, and obviously, hey, Guess what? A project manager might get ill. Guess yeah. what? He's a, they are human beings. They might get unwell. They might have suddenly COVID. They, you know, and then suddenly somebody's going to try and pick that up. Yeah, mm. things happen in an ideal world, and and obviously we've got to get that data, and then we go back and ask the questions of the publisher. Now, if the publisher get back really quickly, great. If um if if not, and we're still waiting on word from the publisher, we've got to wait for that information. We've yeah. got to wait for that go ahead from the publisher, Catalyst was a good example about splitting the orders, mm -hmm. you know, and we would never do that unless we've given express permission to do it because guess what? Catalyst will then have to pay for well, the rest of the stuff to go out. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't do anything without the publisher's go ahead. The other one, for example, is like um, we believe, and, and not to say that we get it right every time, not to say that um, somebody has a bad night in a warehouse. And we, we had an example where we were aghast to find there's a couple of products went out um, um, with uh, Roxley was the last one. And there was nothing in the box, just the packaging material. Oh, God. So I, we were going like, well, somebody was on the vice beer in that warehouse, you know, the night before. Um, uh, you can't legislate for that. It happens. It's human. We're all human beings. It happens. Um, but generally, you know, we will we'll do a packaging test package. You know, with stuff, and we'll send that picture to the, um, particularly the larger ones um, projects. We'll send that picture to the um, to the publisher. Are you happy with this this packaging setup? Are you happy with this? Because right, we believe it's fine. Um, you know, so it's all part of that project analysis. It's not just about data. There's lots of other things that go involved in it. So, oh. so it could be really quick if it's simple. It could be a bit longer, but we're very careful now to say in our schedule that. It gets moved on once we have that go ahead and green light from the uh, from the publisher. Yeah. Okay. Then there's final administrative checks. What's that all about? Mm. Um, very simple. Um, um, there are um, there could be double checks from um, from um, uh, for data and that sort of stuff, but essentially um, most of our projects are prepaid mm. um, now. We do not believe in taking money off anybody um, before they go there because 
we've learned the hard way that we could, we are very trusting people, but ultimately um, a majority of our projects, unless like um, they are incredibly well established customers, um, will need to prepay us. Now that prepayment will be very much at the, at the 11th hour. Uh, because right. because um, you need to know how many parcels you're sending out. And yeah, we, we and, and we don't believe yeah. in saying, oh yeah, give me give me ten thousand dollars, and then three months later, you know, it might be gone on to your end, and 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 it's really difficult. My accounts department hate taking like really large payments up front um, yeah. because then then actually the reconciliation of that is a lot more harder work. Um, yeah. and takes longer to do that so we try to leave it as a from a cash flow perspective let's go for our publishers but um typically administration check is either and it's not just that it, that could be one of the reasons um it could be that uh, it could be that we just want to double check something that, that mm. that's cropped up etc as well so it's just about making sure that um we are as comfortable as we possibly can um with that and and, and some of it would be that we're just waiting for payment to come through as well so um as, as one of the reasons that go through so cool. um but yeah and then hooray for filmant underway and in this so i'm looking at uh, this one is dated when is this 26th of october and we've got uh, two swedish games going out in your fulfillment underway we've got troubleshooters we've got twilight 2000 um two i i feel um kind of different things one's in a box one's a bunch of books um I get the impression that you have grown since the days of Forbidden Lands and Cult going out, um, but but how how complex is that packaging thing? What, one of the things that you often see Kickstarter backers saying is, "Well, I've paid more. I've got the biggest bundle. I've added all these extra add-ons. I should come first in the pecking order, or the packing order, even." Um, whereas my gut feeling is, uh, the simplest one, you know, I, so I didn't order any extras with my twilight 2000. I think I was one of the first to get it because, you know, I got a box in another box, uh, and that was easy for you. So you can clear a bunch of your warehouse stock doing those easy ones first, but what's your, what's your thought around that process? Yeah, um, each um, each job is loaded up into different waves. Now, that wave could be a, a very simple wave. It could be a very complex wave. It does change from project to project, um, to be honest with you. Um, you. You're right. The temptation is to try and do the simplest ones first, but that's generally not the case. We'll probably, have, um, we'll probably upload two waves, one a more complex, one a very simple wave, so that, um, you know, um, packers have different skills. Like mm -hmm. everything else in that warehouse, we have we have um, certain people have different different waves. We have um, temporary staff that, that that might come in, and it's better to get them going on the simpler work rather than the more complex work. Yeah, I guess you so. Know, yeah. And 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 equally, um, it, it's so destroying. If you've got a really complex wave, um, and by the time you've reached that, it is really hard work. And so we then split it up by then doing another easier wave, for example, um, you know, so to lighten the load up a little bit to, you know, for the, for the you know, uh, what people remember is there are, we are not Amazon. We don't have machines to do all of this for us. We have human beings, real people, um, you know, and it is tough. Um, mm. And so it all depends on the complexity of the project. Now, unless, and again, Unless, if the publisher wants us and tells us to get out the biggest packages first because he wants to look after his backers who pay the most money, then we will do that. We will do that 100%. 
no publisher ever does that. Right. So your backers should be going on if they feel that strong um, that um, that um, and they should be forcing their publishers to tell us because guess what, Mister Backer, who has the most, you are not my customer. You know, <laughs> we treat you like a customer in terms of the way that we want you to get your package. We want to communicate with you and let you know everything's good, but ultimately the publisher, my customer. So if the publisher wants to tell me to ship out the most and biggest expensive parcels that it is, first of all, then we will 100% do that um, if that is the instruction from the publisher. Otherwise, we will do what we feel is the most economical, productive way for, for the, the project and our staff to get that out as quickly as possible. Brilliant. Oh, by the way, I make, just, I make just as much, you know, margin-wise, net margin-wise, it makes no difference to me. No. It makes no difference to me what I ship, first of all. So um, absolutely none whatsoever. Um, um, you know, even though it takes me a bit longer to do a larger order, I end up with making the same amount of money as I would just put in a single book, book game in a book wrap, so. Cool. Yes, because my 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 troubleshooters one was a lot more complex. I'd won a T-shirt by being an early backer or something. There were dice. There were there's a little envelope full of uh, tap from a made up uh, airline and, and and things like that. So I can I can imagine it's quite complex putting all those things in order and getting it right. It's 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 not so much uh, com- it's setting up the pick station. It's really is yeah. it's making sure that you have all the right stock in the right place. Um, most of like I mean. I remember doing our first ever um, um, one with, um, oh, God, the guy who did Nuclear War um, and uh, Tunnels and Trolls, um, oh, Rick, Rick Lubis. Um, yeah, fi- uh, Flying Buffalo. Flying Buffalo, who, yeah. who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. um, and I knew Rick from the, because when we were in the PBM days, when I reached out to him, I had a lot of synergy with Rick. And I met him a few times at Essen. He's a lovely, lovely chap. And... Um, when, when we first did this, we didn't have, um, when we did his project, I remember doing it, me and Andy did it, and it was all manual picking, and it was pencils and all stuff. We didn't have a, we never had our warehouse management WMS system in at the time. So it was all very much a manual process of going like, of doing that. So now everything's barcoded. We have barcode, barcode scanners. We scan every project that go in. It's double-checked. Um, not to say it's, it's not, it's not, um, bulletproof but it, you know the amount of mistakes was massively reduced so it's all about planning and it's all about making sure that the right stock there is for people but it's about the time you know if you're picking you know seven eight different projects and put them in a box and making sure that they, there's as little movement in there as possible mm-hmm. um you know i see honestly i see um you know we are a little bit more expensive than some other film companies but i mean i see parcels that come through from different hubs in Germany, um, and I, 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 I aghast, uh, absolutely aghast. At, um, and, and this is not just like, listen, I mentioned the, the missing products in the, in the parcel. The packaging there was fantastic, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll give you an example, right? We had a picture of a guy who sent us, uh, it was a large, uh, about a year ago, I can't remember the project, but he basically was sent us pictures of the disintegrated box, right? And like, look at the state of this box. Oh God, right, okay. And and was everything damaged? Was what was damaged in the in the box? Your product? Oh, nothing. <laughs> what do you mean nothing? Nothing. Nothing was project. I just thought. So the packaging did its job. Yes, it absorbed those hits. <laughs> yes, great. 
but my work here is done. You know, yeah. um, you know, because you literally sometimes we will literally throw a parcel fully packed off the balcony, off the mezzanine to see, to see what you know, happens. Yeah, to yeah. Um, to see what happens now and again, um, and, and to see what you know what gets damaged uh, in there. So, uh, but yeah. Well, that's brilliant. You said we'd overrun and we're coming up on an hour and I know you're a busy man. There's a lot of parcels to get out there. So I don't want to take any more of your time than strictly necessary. I'm going to go down that warehouse uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to pack uh, what, what, what we're doing. Troubleshooters for you. Just I, I, I'll, you've got oh, your don't, don't worry. I've already got my troubleshooters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, just look out. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for uh, Tales from Loot board game, and I'm waiting for Mortborg Heretic. So uh, go and find those and, and hurry those up for me. And you know, yeah. make me first. Um, <laughs> well, if if uh, if really tell me, uh, I will do that for you. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, so it's been a real pleasure talking to you as always, Nigel. Um, maybe we'll see you again at Essen uh, next year. Oh, UK but, Expo uh, uh, for certain. So, um, oh, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that, that's back. And uh, it's good to see that um, the, these shows are, are back again. And, you know, one last message to you, to you, your, your listeners, your backers, mm. is listen, guys, have patience. Look, we're not perfect. Trust us. Um, you know, I, I say we're not perfect, but we will deal with your problems. If there is a problem, we'll deal with it. But, um, you know, this is our business. This is what we now do. I don't, I don't sell on Amazon or, or eBay anymore. Um, this, you know, everything that we do supports our fulfillment uh, business. So, um, you know, um, yeah, so sometimes a little bit of patience and trust. Um, we, we are working as hard as we possibly can with as much due diligence as we possibly can. So, um, um, but yeah, anyway, but uh, been a pleasure. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Bye-bye, mate. So one of, one of our patrons, Mattia, said, um, uh, it was a few weeks ago, you were thinking about uh, what you were going to be doing for the next um, next bit of content. And Mattia asked, uh, has anybody got any good advice on planning Forbidden Lands? Uh, running a forbidden land session, and you said, "Oh, maybe I can write about that for for my what I'm going to do in my next bit of content." And I said, "But Dave, you have never in your entire life planned to run a forbidden land session." No, but Matthew, in the last forty plus years of game mastering, I've planned quite a lot of stuff, so I've probably yeah, got something something useful lands. to say. Yeah, but I could I could research it and look at it and then say, well, I'd run it this way. But uh, anyway, Matthew's horned in on my agreement with uh, Matea to do this, and you're going to do it now. So it better be good, is all I can say. <laughs> if it's not good, you'll never hear the fucking end of it. All right. So what I what I'm going to do is I I already know what adventure I'm running and I've already read it. But I thought I might spend some time this week, actually analysing my planning or my lack of planning, which is generally <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, unfortunately, that, that's it. You're, you're, you're yeah. Matthew Matthew's guide to planning. Don't bother. Yeah. Great. Get so much here. I read it a few <laughs> weeks ago. I'm going to have the book in front of me. That's the planning. No, no, no. I'm going to look at it and think. You know, maybe so. One of the, one of the things that I particularly remember. Are you, you going to think how would a good GM plan it? Is that what you yeah, think? And that's then what I'm that. thinking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, well, can I can't learn the, from the mistakes of last time because the last adventure was great, except for the fact that you discovered. Uh, well, you know, 
and this is this is kind of at the number why I say, but but Dave, you haven't even run Forbidden Lands. Forbidden Lands for me is a lot more procedural in that you roll dice and stuff happens that neither you nor the player knows was going to happen. So yeah. you you guys created a, uh, but through the power of dice, you went exploring a really, 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 really deep staircase. Um, and uh, I was yes. thinking, what can I put at the bottom of that? And I'd got this vague memory in my head about a dragon a captive dragon, which I'd read somewhere. And I remember you guys then kind of having to wait around for 20 minutes while I went, I know the name of this dragon. (laughs) I can't remember where I read it. And I flicked through the book. And um, so I'm going to be thinking about, you know, uh, maybe marking the the interesting things that might come up in the adventure. So I'm going to give it a go anyway. And and you can still do a planning your session session afterwards uh, that, that tells me everything I did wrong. (laughs) <laughs> that's fine. I shall look forward to that moment. <laughs> so, uh, so that's it. Cool. We're going to be planning we'll that uh, next a session, yeah. and I'm going to be writing it this week um, as as I do the actual planning, and maybe a little bit next week after the after the adventure. Cool. Excellent. Good stuff. Good. It'd be nice to get that done. We did say we'd do it, and um, it has been a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, Mattia, we will do that, and it'll be two weeks time. You'll hear. Matthew's pearls of wisdom, or pearl Excellent. of wisdom, or small bit of gravel of wisdom, or whatever you want to, however good it is. And it's goodbye <laughs> from me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from him before Matthew And may kills the me. icons bless your <laughs> bloody adventures. <laughs> you have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. <laughs>